All right, let's go in our Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 18. We're going to talk about drinking this morning. And uh, before we start, I was given a little gift. This is not a joke. Before I came up here and uh, it was it was given to me in, in terms of this message. Some of y'all who are not from here say, what is the significance of the mason jar? A lot. So this was given to me. said, if you're going to preach on alcohol in Franklin County, you've got to know this. And this is a, uh, for those of you listening uh, on CD or whatever, it's a little picture here. It says, cheers, I have a few good reasons for drinking, and one has just entered my head. If a man can't drink when he's living, how the heck can he drink when he's dead? So that was given... <laughs> As a from a church member to me, and then uh, some of you know what commonly in Franklin County goes in one of these. Help me out. What does it? All right, <laughs> Joseph Wildman this morning. So also in the package from my friend, who I will not name, although he does have a nickname, and it's Big Man. It um it says Franklin County moonshine capital of the world and I've been told that this glows in the dark and the reason why the bootleggers don't wear it is because the cops can find them if they have to run in the dark. So with that being said, some of y'all are like that is the strangest introduction to a sermon I have ever heard in my life. Y'all can go ahead and loosen up. Are y'all okay this morning? I, I, I honestly I felt the tension when I came in this morning. Because we've got groups of people here. Some people, some people have here, you've got a drinking problem. Some of you are hooked. You're still able to work your job. You're still able to be active with your family. But you have a serious drinking problem. And you're looking for help. We pray that God would use this message to help you get free from that. And there are some of you who are hooked and you don't want help. And if I say anything to the effect, you want to go party, especially younger folks, you want to go drink, you want to do your thing. If I say anything other than it is never a sin to drink, you'll be hacked off and mad. Then we've got some people who say in every context, in every situation, even if it is such a small percentage of alcohol, you can't even get drunk all of it. But that's still an unpardonable sin. We've got many people here today. So this is a very emotional subject, is it not? We have some people who've been raised in an alcoholic home. All right? Your parent, your grandparents were drunks. And you've suffered from that. Other people were raised in somewhat of a fundamentalist, or we could say very conservative culture. And they've kind of tried, like a lot of younger guys, they try to kick back from that and come over to the, to, to the position to say, well, there's no verse in the Bible that says it's a sin to drink. So what I want to do is just drink. But what they, I think often for a lot of guys my age, even preachers, is I ask the question, how often have you been to jail? I don't mean being committed there, all right? But how often have you done jail ministry? When I was in college, I would every Sunday that I was there, for the last year and a half, I would, I would go to jail every Sunday morning. And they would allow us to communicate the gospel to these young boys. And I'd come to church afterwards. They'd say, where, where were you, Jeff? I said, I just got out of jail. And you ought to see the look on some of the church people's face. I said, I just got out and I came to see you. They're like, security? We need, you know. But all of those situations that I've been in, also going to boys' homes, doing ministry in certain ghetto areas, 
What I have seen and what I've experienced is alcohol abuse has ravaged American culture. There are many people who have grown up and they have been victimized by the abuse of alcohol. Before we really get going, people say, Jeff, what is your experience with alcohol? This is where it's going to get really interesting for some of us. In my extended family, there are a number of alcoholics. I have one great uncle, and he was the happy, generous drunk that when he would get drunk, which was frequent, he would give away all his money. So his family suffered because of that. You say, now, Brother Jeff, what has been your experience personally with alcohol? Well, my parents, because of the alcoholics on both sides, chose not to drink at all. So I grew up in a home to where there was no alcohol. And I'm very thankful that my parents took that stance. Because as I got into 8th grade and, and in high school, even 7th grade, a lot of my friends began to drink and drink very hard. And they would come to youth group on Sunday morning and tell the guys in kind of a, a shushed voice about their exploits by getting smashed on Friday and Saturday night. And one thing that I began to notice was many of my friends, their, their, their grades and their sports careers in high school, some guys were really strong, you know, like these young studs. But all of a sudden, when they, when they begin to, to go out and basically binge drink, their quality of their lives begin to deteriorate rapidly. So I saw that. I wasn't saved at the time, but I said, that's probably not the best way to go. Santa Jeff, have you ever had an alcoholic drink? Yes. When I was on a mission trip, Several years ago. Now, just that introduction. Are y'all awake with me just with this? On a mission trip several years ago, I was in Central Asia. We're teaching English as a spring for, for the gospel. This guy comes and said, we would like you to drink our national drink. And I was like, well, I don't want to refuse because that would be impolite. And so I said, well, what is it? He said, it is mare's milk, horse's milk. And I said, I have never had horse's milk before. So I got this little cup, this little shot glass of horse's milk. But what I did not know at the time is that they say that they allow the horse milk to become fermented. For some of you younger folks, that means rotten milk. But they take away the sludge. So you got kind of like rotten skim milk. And then they pour alcohol. I don't know what kind it was in there. But when I smelled it, I think that I had less nose hairs after the snort than I did before. Are you with me? All right? And I just said, Lord, for your glory, I, I don't want to offend this guy, so I hit it. And I'll tell you what, I did not know I had that many burning fibers going all the way down into my stomach. Now, I'm the type, I think that if I did drink, I would get drunk very fast. And I honestly think that if I drank, I would become an alcoholic. And I don't say this to be funny, but I don't buy those packets of Snicker bars at the store. Because you know what will happen by the time midnight hits? All of them will be gone. And I'll be sick. I have a very obsessive type of personality. If I go get a pack of gum, I cannot get a lot of packs of gum because I'll be just eating all of it. That's me. That is a weakness that I have. But in that country, once I, I had that drink, about 30 seconds, a minute later, I begin to feel different. 
Then also on another mission trip, I had the opportunity, I was with a group of Muslim students, and this is not in the Middle East because they're very strict against alcohol there. This is more of one of the moderate Muslim cultures. They said, we want you to drink some of our camel's milk. Yeah, that's what I thought too. And it was this bowl, and, and it wasn't so much the smell or the look or the fact that it was camel's milk, it was the kind of white stuff that was kind of floating around in there. You get my drift? And I drank that. That was fermented. And it was straight up nasty. In a situation like that, some people would always say it's always a sin to drink any amount of alcohol in any place. Another example, uh, this was also on a mission trip in the former USSR. We had a, a church service, an evening service with a group of people who had been under persecution under the USSR, right? Some of you guys remember the Russians, all right? These were Christians who had been persecuted by the atheist Soviets during the, the reign of terror and all of that. And, and we had this worship service and we prayed and we looked at God's word and we sang to the Lord. And then we were going to take communion. Some of y'all know where this is going. And then right as the cup was being, that we didn't have the individual cups as we do here, that this was something that was passed around to everyone. And, and the translator leaned over and she said, Jeff, I forgot to tell you, but they use real wine. So what would you do? I said, Lord, what should I do? When it came around, so there's a group of people who have been under persecution. The purpose for this is not to get smashed. So I took a sip. And I think, and then I may get fired for this, but I think it would have been more damaging had I refused that and breaking fellowship with those believers than had I not. That's kind of a strange introduction to a message on alcohol, isn't it? Many people want to ask Jeff, is it a sin to drink alcohol? You will not find a verse in the Bible that says it is a strictly always a sin to drink alcohol, but is it a sin to go out and undo your motor tank and drink used motor oil? Nowhere in the Bible does it say that that's an unpardonable sin, it's just plain dumb, right? And then we have the weed smoker's favorite verse, Genesis chapter 1, verse 29, where God says, Behold, I have given to you every manner of seed and green herb. And the weed smokers say, You know what? God made it. That means I can smoke it. What now? How many of you have ever heard that verse referenced? All right? That is huge. And I say, Okay, read the last part of the verse. God said, And every tree with seed in its fruit, and you shall have them for food. If you think that inhaling smoke is the same thing as mashed potatoes and green beans, you've got a serious eating disorder. Just because God made it doesn't mean you smoke it to get bombed out of your mind. So we got to look at this in this aspect. And here's our main idea. Here's the question. Is it for a Christian? Now, if you're not saved this morning and you have a drinking problem, your drinking problem is not your ultimate problem, it's your heart. And when God saves your heart, then your actions will ultimately change. Amen, church? Because sometimes people in church, I'm going to get on this and get off of it very quickly, they sit there and they point, they say, that guy had a drink of beer, therefore he's going to hell. 
Nobody goes to hell by drinking a beer, and nobody gets to heaven by only drinking water. You go to hell because you're a sinner. That's what the Bible says. And the Bible says, how many have sinned? For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So we have to be very careful when we look at outward things and say, if you do this, you're a good person. If you don't do that, then you're a bad person. But here's the question for a person who truly loves God. Is it wise, is it best for me to drink alcohol? Because the question to say, Jeff, is it a sin to drink alcohol? It's almost like we've got this invisible line. You remember the, the old Alamo movie where they drew the line in the sand and they said, if you're with us, step over. If not, it's almost like we've got that line in the sand and someone says, tell me in the Bible where it says that I can't drink. It's almost like, it's almost like this in our culture. Let me get as close to the bad line as I can while still being a good guy or a good girl. Does that make sense? I think here's a better way to look at it. Say, where is Christ? What is his best? Okay, Jesus calls me to follow him. Let me follow him. And if there's anything that's going to hold me back, if there's any type of weight, if there's any type of snare, any hook that's in me, I want to try to avoid that, not because I'm trying to earn my salvation, not because I'm a legalist, but because I want God's best. Does that make sense? That's the difference. So we're going to ask, is it best, is it wise for us to drink alcohol? In your Bibles, in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, the Bible says, Do not get drunk with wine. So right off, what does the Bible tell us not to do? No getting drunk. But, next phrase, For that is debauchery. But, be filled with the Spirit. Now this word debauchery is an interesting word. We probably have not heard debauchery on MTV this past week, right? You may have seen it, we just don't use that word in our culture, do we? It's been translated dissipation, excess, and debauchery. What in the world is debauchery? Laonia, this is a Greek lexicon, says that this word, this phrase, this thought can be translated, this is amazing, what a person does when their mind is absent. Go with me on this. Have you ever seen somebody drunk? you got to be honest. In a twisted type of way, it is somewhat entertaining, is it not? Now some of you are looking at me like some pious gas bags. You know that when you're around a person, there's a some amount of like, this is a little bit entertaining to hear and watch this person when they're totally bombed out of their mind. But then it's really sad, isn't it? Dissipation, drunkenness. What the picture is here is, is in Proverbs chapter 23, verses 19 and 21. This would be great to write down and read later. It says, hear my son and be wise and be wise and direct your heart in the way. Be not among drunkards or among gluttonous eaters of meat. That means people who live the party lifestyle. For, verse 21, for the drunkard, meaning the alcoholic, and the glutton will come to poverty and sleep will clothe them with rags. That means if your life is wrapped up in getting high and... Uh, Hank Jr.'s song, family tradition. Hank, why do you drink? Hank, why do you smoke? 
Why do you, some of y'all know this song and you're acting like you don't. Why do you have to live out those sad songs you wrote? It's all about, in many cases, a family tradition. Now let me stop right here. I believe with all my heart, and this comes from, I pray that the love from the Lord, that if your family has a history of alcoholism and drunkenness, I don't see how any way in a sane looking way of, uh, of this subject, why would you drink? How would that be wise to put yourself in the position if there are people in your family who have been shipwrecked over and over again by the grace of God say, Lord, I don't want to expose myself myself to the fish hooks of that. What a person does when their mind is absent. Some of you have ever been drunk. Sometimes you've woke up in somebody's bed who you didn't even know. You're at somebody's house making out with their toilet. Covered in your own vomit. Okay? This is what happens. Some people, I don't know if I've ever told you all this, my best friend outside my brother's, guess what he was before he got saved? He was a drug dealer. Carried a 9mm, best friend. Hopefully we can have him here to preach sometime. He's got a tattoo right here of an ugly looking piranha. He got high one night, thought he wanted to get a bad to the bone tough guy tattoo. He went, oh, oh, a piranha. So he came out with a piranha. While he's still stoned, he goes to his older brother. His older brother said, that's a dumb fish. And Chris is like, oh, idiot. So what happens often is we, if you get, live this life of dissipation and drunkenness, you wake up in places that you shouldn't be. You're with people that you shouldn't be. You end up with tattoos that you shouldn't have and that you never remember. I don't know a person named you know Bob or whatever it is. It's a terrible, terrible lifestyle, is it not? But what happens often is people will get sucked in by that. F.F. Bruce, a great New Testament scholar, said, instead of seeking such satisfaction as some expect to find through, this is an old word, wine-bibbing. Everybody say that. That's kind of a funny word, isn't it? Everybody say wine-bibbing. Wine-bibbing. That means going around and getting drunk, taking mixed drinks, whatever I can get my hands on. He's saying, instead of seeking such satisfaction as some people expect to find through wine-bibbing, he means... The Apostle Paul, let your fullness be what the Holy Spirit produces. Notice it says, don't get filled up with stuff that's going to lead to regret. Don't put it in your body. Don't live a life of drunkenness, but rather let God fill your senses. This word also, it goes back to even the Apocrypha. And the Apocrypha is what happened in between the Old Testament and the New Testament. It's in actually 2 Maccabees chapter 6, verse 4. This is a crazy, twisted story. The Greeks were trying to take over Israel. And what they did, they sent an old man of Athens. Think a dirty old... Have you ever known one of those? Dirty old man. Just a dirty, crotchety, perverted old man. They, the Greeks sent him to Jerusalem. And what happened... Let me, let me read verse 4 to you. And the temple was filled with riot, which is the same word here for drunkenness, dissipation, and reveling by the Gentiles who... And the same word here is the word for 
The word for being filled by the Spirit. But they were filled up upon with whores, with harlots, and that had to do with women and the circuit of the holy places. What happened here is a person who did not know God came to the people of God and began to seduce them. So it's kind of like you go to church and you find orgies and drunkenness inside the temple building. That's the background of the picture here. And God said, if you've been saved, that is not for you. Amen? And what we're not preaching here, we are not preaching legalism. Okay? We're not saying that if you abstain from these things, God will be like, you know what? That guy never took a drink. I think that because he never took a drink, he therefore can earn his way into heaven. It does not work like that. Isn't that a good good thing, right? It's all through the grace of God. We've all sinned, so we come to Christ the same way. So now, Jeff, what does the Bible teach about drunkenness? Well, one of the things from Isaiah 28 is if you live a life of drunkenness, it's humiliating to yourself and to your family. It says in Isaiah chapter 28, these also reel with wine and stagger with strong drink. You ever seen somebody drunk and they can't stand up straight? Cops walk this line and they can't do it. Check this out. The priest and the prophet also reel with strong drink and they are swallowed with wine. They stagger with strong wine and they reel in vision and they stumble in judgment. And this is in the Bible. Isaiah 28 verse 8. And all the tables are full of filthy vomit and there is no place left. That's humiliating, isn't it? So one reason to abstain from drunkenness is because we represent the Lord, we represent our families, we represent our local churches, is to abstain from that because it is humiliating. Secondly, it leads to an insane style of living. The Bible says in Isaiah chapter 5, verse 11, Woe to those who rise early in the morning that they may run after strong drink, and they wait late in the evening as wine inflames them. You ever known a person and they're so hooked on alcohol that it's the second they get up in the morning they're looking for another drink? If that's you here today, the Lord can set you free. Number three, if it's a continual life of drunkenness, it shows that your heart has not been changed and you are not going to heaven. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9 and 10, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither will the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality. Verse 10, nor thieves, nor greedies, nor nor drunkards will inherit the kingdom of God. You say, now Jeff, I I thought you said a minute ago that that drinking a beer won't send you to hell. We go to hell because we're sinners. The only thing that saves us is having a heart change the Bible calls being born again. So with that being said, a person who lives continually in a lifestyle of drunkenness and alcoholism is revealing that their heart has not been changed. Now who said that? Did Jeff say that or did the Bible say that? It comes straight from the text. Number four, it also victimizes others. Think in terms, guys, of trying to get a girl drunk and get her in bed. This comes from the book of Habakkuk. This is in the Bible. Verse, chapter 2, verse 15. Woe to him, which means God will judge you. Woe to him who makes his neighbor drink. You pour out your wrath and make them drunk in order to gaze at their nakedness. 
This is in the Old Testament. Even in the Old Testament, people were trying to get one another drunk so that they could take sexual advantage of one another. Whenever you see the word W-O-E, it seriously means that God's wrath is coming. That's you. Encourage you to repent of your sin and trust Christ. It also destroys families. In 1 Samuel chapter 25, there's a man named Nabal. And he was a mean drunk. Have you ever been around a not a not a not an alcoholic, but a mean drunk? To where they call you every four-letter word, and they even make up a few new ones in the process, and they fight and they scream and they break things. Nabal was that kind of man. The Bible says that no one could speak to him. He was so arrogant and so caught up in a lifestyle of drinking that he could not even take advice from people called his friends. So here's what drunkenness does, literally. It causes us to waste our lives. Doesn't it? We could be here literally all day long with telling story after story of athletes of politicians, of businessmen, of even of mothers at home who have thrown their lives away because they've become hooked on alcohol. So what what, what drunkenness really is, it's like this narcissistic lifestyle to where everything is focused upon me getting my high. There's There's an old Christian confession called the Westminster Short Catechism, and it asks the question, what is the chief end of man? In other words, have you ever asked this question? Why do I exist? You ever thought that? Maybe you've been camping. I love to camp. You just kind of look up at the stars and you think about how big everything is and how small we are. You say, God, what? I'm... Maybe you're even questioning God's existence. Say, what is the purpose for my existence? This is what Christians have always believed the Bible's taught. Here's the answer. Man's chief end, meaning his purpose, is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. But if you're living a lifestyle of drunkenness, what it says is, what is the chief end of man? The chief end of man is not to glorify God, but it's to glorify my desire to have my desires fulfilled and to make a fool out of myself and to literally waste my life. I believe that it is the wise choice to abstain from drunkenness. And at this point, somebody will say, now hold on, Jeff. Hold on. You're talking about drinking. You're just like all of those other Baptist preachers. I hate Baptists. I mean, they're always talking about Drinking, but they never talk about gluttony. Have you heard this one? Say, oh, you know, here's the way it's popularly understood. You take a preacher, I'm just going to say it. You take a preacher who looks like he is a glutton, and he's telling everyone else that if they drink, they're committing sin. So the argument goes that because... In many churches, gluttony is never addressed, therefore drinking is okay. Well, that's not an argument that really follows, is it? Number one, does the Bible say gluttony is a sin? Yes. Does gluttony always have to do with someone's weight? No. There are things such as different levels of metabolism. Some of you, you could go to a golden corral three times a day, maybe even four, and you won't put on a pound. And some of you, you look at a piece of lettuce and you gain 20 pounds. I'm not speaking of necessarily weight. You can be skinny, but still be a drunkard, or excuse me, a glutton. Now listen, they're both sins of the flesh, drunkenness and gluttony. But I've never, maybe you have, I don't know. I've never known of somebody who's lost their license 
because they got pulled over driving while fat. Never. Okay? Never. I've never known of an officer who's pulled someone over saying, Sir, have you had one too many Twinkies tonight? Never heard of that. So can gluttony damage our physical bodies? Yes. But drunkenness has a much greater potential in damaging the lives of others, doesn't it? Everything from fallout within your marriage relationship to even people you don't know coming head-on collision if you think that you haven't had that many, but you actually have. And some people say, now, Jeff, I drink, but I don't get drunk. All right? Let's, let, let's, let's take that for just a scenario. Say, how many beers does it take to get you drunk? Let's say it takes five. All right? Let's say it takes five. And you say, okay, all right. So, so if I'm drunk, then I'm in sin. I know that, Jeff. But I don't drink to get drunk. I just drink a little bit. Well, if the drunk line or the buzz line, sometimes those are two in the same. Some of y'all are just, y'all been smiling this whole time. This is, if being, if the drunk part is what you should avoid and it takes five beers to get you drunk, then if you drink two beers, then you're actually 40%. Drunk, right? If you drink one beer, you're 20% drunk. If you want to take that line of reasoning, you have to be um, consistent. And also, sometimes people use the gluttony thing. There's something called a red herring argument. You know what a red herring fallacy is? It's when you got the dogs and they're trailing somebody and take this big, nasty, smelly fish. Anybody hate fish in here? Got any fish haters? Fish lovers. All right, people who don't even care. I love McDonald's fish sandwiches. My idea of heaven and the, the feast and the Lord is just to get into a pool of, of milk and Krispy Kreme donuts. And when I get out, there's going to be a whole table full of McDonald's fish sandwiches. Amen? Y'all are like, I'm never coming back to this church again. That guy is just a freak. But here's what happens with a red herring argument, all right? You take this big smelly fish and you drag it across the trail so that the dogs will be distracted by it and not actually pursue who they should be pursuing. Once again, gluttony is a sin. We in the church should also be consistent and help people get out of that lifestyle, get free from being addicted to food, and experience the joy of the Lord. But just because the church has not talked about gluttony does not make drunkenness okay. Does that make sense? All right. So what about alcohol itself, Jeff? What does the Bible actually say about alcohol? We know it says that being drunk is bad. Well... There are actually in the Bible some benefits listed of wine. The Bible says in Psalm chapter 104, verses 14 and 15. And by the way, this is a verse that is never mentioned in Baptist churches, but I want to be biblical. God, you caused the grass to grow for the livestock and plants for man to cultivate, that he may bring forth food from the earth and wine to gladden the heart of man, oil to make his face shine, and bread to strengthen man's heart. So in the Old Testament, often the picture of wine was used as a way of saying that we have enough food that God has blessed. 
It was also used in a medicinal type of way, like an anesthesia. It says in Psalm chapter 31, Give strong drink to the one who is perishing and wine to those in bitter distress. Probably seen cowboy movies before. We're not endorsing drunkenness, but in ancient times there was no anesthesia. So sometimes if people were in extreme physical pain, they would use alcohol as some type of a medicine for that. It was also used as an antiseptic for wounds. The Good Samaritan in Luke chapter 10, verse 34, who found the guy who had been beaten and jumped, said he went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn or a hotel, motel, and took care of him. What the alcohol would do is because of the acidity, it would actually kill the germs so that infection would not set in. Then some people say, now, now Jeff, um, what about when Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 5 to, to Timothy, he says, Timothy, take a little what for your stomach? A little wine for your stomach. Now, if he had to tell Timothy to take a little wine, at that point, what was Timothy not taking? little wine. So before Paul told Timothy to drink a little wine so that it would take care of his stomach issues, Timothy wasn't drinking anything alcoholic. So if you use that verse to say that we can drink, you got to be very careful and say it's only in cases of stomach problems, right? Jeff, why would Paul tell him to take wine for his stomach? Because they didn't have CVS. They didn't have modern medicine. They didn't have Pepto-Bismol. What would happen often in the water, um, I don't know if you've ever been out hiking if you, and you've looked at this clear flowing stream and you've run out of water and you just say, I would love to get a drink from that stream. You ever been there? But then you're like, I don't know, there may be a dead deer carcass 200 yards up in the middle of this stream or you know, maybe somebody has pitched camp and maybe pitched other things and I just don't want to do that. Well, imagine in ancient times to where everybody lived around wells and they lived around rivers, how unclean some of the drinking water would be. So here's what happens. If you take water that's been around animals and people and you put it in some type of a wooden or an earthen jar, there can be stuff that starts to grow in that water that you don't want active in your stomach. You'll get bacteria. It's like when you go to Mexico, they say don't, do, don't drink the what? The water, because it's bad, it's not clean. So sometimes, and very often, unless it was a fresh well source, they would actually put a little bit of wine into the water, and the alcohol, the small amount of alcohol in the wine, would serve as kind of like a germ-killing agent. Now that's much different than our culture today, is it not? If you've got stomach problems, as your pastor, out of love, I would say take Pepto-Bismol. Because I've never known anybody coming out of rehab that's like, you know, that pink stuff, I just got to have me one. So, you know, what does the Bible say about the dangers of wine? First mention of wine in the Bible is Genesis chapter 9. Noah. Remember what happened? Wouldn't you say that Noah had a little bit of stressful time, the flood? You're stuck on an ark for literally over a year, and you've got every main animal type on the boat. If you're in a boat and you've got animals, animals have to eat, and when animals eat, they, well, you know. Everybody else died. They finally get to dry land. Noah says, God, I'm going to sacrifice to you. And then Noah goes out and he, he, he makes wine and he gets drunk. One of his sons goes in 
And he sees his dad. And what happened? Noah took off all of his clothes. Because when you're drunk, you do crazy things. And he went in and he got his brothers. He said, hey, look, come in. And he wanted to make fun of his dad's nakedness. And God actually cursed Canaan for not honoring his father. In fact, his two other brothers took in each um, one end of a blanket. And they backed in, walking backwards, and put the blanket over their father so that they would not gaze upon his nakedness. It causes shame. Proverbs chapter 20, verse 1 says, Wine is a mocker, and strong drink is a brawler, and whoever is led astray is not wise. Notice it does not say legalism. It says if you're led astray by drinking for social reasons that you are not wise. Toby Keith's song, it's 5 o'clock Friday. I'm going to go out, and I'm going to what? Y'all act like you don't know that song. I'm going to get drunk and... I'm finally going to be somebody. Question. If alcohol in your system is the only self-esteem that you have, that's pretty sad. Proverbs 21, 17. Whoever loves pleasure will be a poor man. He who loves wine will not be rich. I've talked to different people and I ask who do the party scene, how much do you normally spend if you go out clubbing, if you go bar hopping? And normally I've gotten the, the figure anywhere between $50 and $350. That's normal to go out. Especially if, you, if you're buying drinks, you know, if you're a guy and you buy drinks for uh, another lady or for other people, and then you tip the bartender, all that stuff, it mounts up very quickly. The Bible also says that alcohol is a viper. In Proverbs chapter 23, verse 29, here's what it says. It begins with a question. Who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has strife? Who has complaining? Who has wounds without cause? Who has redness of eyes? Literally what it's saying is who's got a jacked up life? That's what it says in the Hebrew. Here it goes. That was a joke. Verse 30. Those who tarry long over wine and those who go to try mixed wine. Means if your life is spent waiting to get home to get stoned, with alcohol, then you will have problems. Verse 31, do not look at wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup and it goes down smoothly. All of you know the beer commercial that says it goes down what? goes down smooth. Alright? Bible says do not look at it. In the end, it bites like a serpent and stings like an adder, which is a deadly snake like a cobra. Your eyes will see strange things and your heart will utter perverse things. Can I get a witness if you've ever been drunk? Is that not what happens? Everything gets really crazy really quick. Verse 34, you will be like one who lies in the midst of the sea, like one who is on the top of the mast of a ship. They struck me, you will say, but I was not hurt. They beat me, but I did not feel it. When shall I awake? I must have another drink. Let me just say that it is a very sad life. Amen? And I believe that Jesus can deliver someone from that. James Merritt said, I think that this is wise. He says it is impossible to be bitten by a snake that you never play with. Let me read that one more time. James Merritt said, it is impossible to be bitten by a snake that you never play with. Adrian Rogers says, And I think that this is wise. Becoming an alcoholic does not begin with the last drink. It always begins with the first.
It's a source of bad decisions. Say, now Jeff, I know we're not supposed to be controlled by alcohol. What should we be controlled by? The Bible says the Holy Spirit. It says to be filled with the fullness of God and to submit to His power. Warren Wiersbe said the marks of a Spirit-filled Christian are not unusual emotional experiences, but rather Christian character. See, now Jeff, what am I supposed to do about alcohol? Let's ask several questions and then we'll be through. Number one, in relation to alcohol, am I fully persuaded that it is right? Am I fully persuaded that this is the right thing to do to take this drink? If there is a caution from the Holy Spirit in your spirit, in your, in your heart, the wise thing to do, the God-honoring thing to do, would be a abstain. Second question, can I do this? Can I drink as unto the Lord? In other words, can I, can I with my drink say, God, this is honoring to you? Number three, can I do it without being a stumbling block to my brother or sister in Christ? Some people say, now Jeff, what if, what if I'm at my house and I'm kind of hiding there and you know, so nobody else can see me? So we'll stop right here that if we have to hide what we're doing, I'm not sure if we should do it. Because some people say, yeah, I know, Jeff, if I was, you know, downtown, I'm, I'm sitting back there knocking down a 40, but I'm not getting drunk. And, and somebody saw me and they're a new Christian. They could see that and, and say, well, if it's OK for them to drink, then I can drink. And they go out and they get smashed and they get hooked and they become alcoholic. I know that's not right. But what about in the house? I think that before the Lord, if we're ashamed to do something before other people, we probably shouldn't shouldn't do it. Number four, does it bring peace? If you're a student and your family has a deep-seated conviction and they ask you, they say, would you please not drink? And you pursue drink, you are a total jerk and you are a punk. This happens, doesn't it? Sometimes students say, you know what? I'm outside, of your, I'm outside of your house. I'm away at college. Mom and dad, I don't care what you think anywhere. The Bible says to honor your father and your mother. Why don't you ask them? Say, Mom and dad, what do you think about me drinking? Would you prefer me not to drink? And if your mom and dad, I think if they give the good answer, they give you the wise answer, they'll say, we request that you would abstain and not do that. To honor your parents and to honor the Lord, you will honor their request. Number five, does it edify my brother? Meaning, does it help people become more like Jesus? Can me drinking this alcoholic beverage cause people to say, you know what, that causes me to be more like Jesus. Number six, is it profitable? Does it profit me in my mind? Does it profit me in my body? Alcohol itself is not good for you. Y'all know that, don't you? It kills brain cells. And some of us, we need all that we can get. Number seven, does it enslave me? Does it bring a hook? Does it bring a snare? It is very possible and often that people say, well, I'm just going to have one drink. But I'm sure that every single one of us in here knows people who just wanted to take one drink. And then what happened is that they became totally hooked. Next question, number eight, does it bring glory to God? Could I glorify God with this drink? In our culture, let me just put it out there. I'm in the minority of people in my age group and even among preachers, yes. I don't think that it's wise to drink. Let me say that once again. As your pastor, out of love, not out of a sense of legalism, I'm not saying you'll lose your salvation if you do. 
But I believe the best choice that you and I can make, the wisest, number nine there in your bulletin handout, the wisest choice that you and I can make for the glory of God and for other people who see our lives is to totally abstain from alcohol. And we're doing that because it's not about our preferences. Okay? It's not even about my freedom in Christ. But I'm concerned for everyone else and I'm concerned for the glory of God. So for that, I say for the glory of the Lord to abstain from alcohol. Finally, before we close, there's a man in Georgia when I pastored a church there. And uh, he was a town drunk. He was able to still keep a job. He's actually a successful businessman. He ran a great restaurant. But he was 53 when I saw him die. I was there. He was a white guy. Blue eyes. But his skin was literally yellow. I had the chance to lead him to the Lord months before he passed away. He got saved. He came. He actually got baptized. And there were men in that church, strong men, truckers, like manly men, who when Mike came forward in the, in the invitation and said, you know what, I'm not ashamed to follow Jesus. I've given my life to Him. And God took the desire to drink away from Him. When He did that, I saw manly, manly men crying because they had been praying for their friend for years. God set him free. God saved him. And then his family began to come to church. But let me tell you what, the damage had already been done. As I looked at him on his deathbed, he was a 53-year-old man who was known, for those of you who like fighting, he was the best bar fighter back in the day. Just go get drunk, he'd always win. Fighting. But I kid you not, he looked like an 83-year-old man. God saved him, but the damage to his family had already been done. And I just ask, what would his life been like had he not taken that first drink? If someone would have come alongside of him and said, you know what? What is wise? To the glory of God, I urge you, if you're here today and you have a drinking problem, I'm going to be around afterwards. Please, get help. The Lord can set you free. If this is something that you're to the point that you don't want help, we're praying that God breaks your heart. If you're here and you know someone in your family who needs to get help with their drinking problem, we're going to ask you to pray for them. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. If you're here today and God has shown you that you need to be saved, just in this moment, just say, God, I I need you to save me. Just give your life to Him. Repent of your sin. Place your faith in Jesus. And when we begin what's called an invitation here in just a few moments, we're going to stand We're going to sing a song. And when we begin to sing, we're going to ask you to get up out of your seat and simply walk forward. And I'll be here to take you by the hand. And by doing that, you're saying, you know what? I know that walking down here doesn't save me, but I'm letting everybody know that I am ready to follow Jesus. And if you're here and you know that God is calling you to join this church and to partner with us for the gospel, we invite you to come. If you've been saved, but you need to get baptized, We ask you to come. Father, would you take control of this time? And for the ones who may be mad and hacked off right now, I pray that you would impress upon their spirit the wisdom for the sake of your glory and for the fact that we do live in a culture that is ravaged by alcohol to go home and pour it in the toilet for the glory of Christ. Lord, would you set men and women free 
from drink this morning? And would you help us as a church to know how to minister in this way? In Jesus' name, amen.